Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Skiophonic Podcast, the home of short stories for lifelong learners. Hi, guys. What is Skiophonic? Well, it's a huge collection of thought-provoking short stories. They're true. They're fun. And as it turns out, they just might make you more interesting. Skiophonic started out in the mind of an ER doctor looking for a way to learn while exercising. He was creative and full of ideas, but his voice was not well-suited for narration. So he teamed up with the latest AI tech and formed a collaboration that has blossomed into an audiobook, a mobile app, and this podcast. You know, whatever the platform, these stories are the perfect way to fill those free gaps of time in your schedule with content that is both interesting and productive. So thanks for joining us, and please check out the website. That's www.skiophonic.com or download the app on Apple or Google Play stores. Great. Now let's see what stories are lined up for us today. Andrew? Hello again, listeners. We are so excited to bring you the second season of the Skiophonic podcast. We've been working overtime, making new stories that we can't wait for you to hear. To start things off, we present an episode called Legends in Action where we take an in-depth look at some remarkable figures in history who achieved some pretty incredible things. Yet, it's very possible that you haven't heard of any of them. So, thanks for your support and enjoy these amazing stories and the sounds of Skiophonic. Cliff Young. Do you ever feel too old to set out on a new adventure? Meet Cliff Young, the Australian potato farmer who, at the age of 61, entered an ultramarathon and became an unlikely national hero, proving age is no barrier to achieving remarkable feats. The tale begins in 1983, with the inaugural Westfield Sydney to Melbourne Ultramarathon a grueling 554-mile race considered among the most challenging endurance events in the world. Among the competitors, a figure stood out. Cliff Young, clad not in the latest sportswear, but in rubber boots and overalls. Cliff's only training had consisted of chasing sheep across his 2,000-acre farm. With no sponsors, nor even a basic understanding of the race, Young's appearance at the starting line drew laughter from the crowd and concern from the organizers. However, when the race started, Cliff began a slow but steady shuffle that would soon take Australia by storm. While the other runners had a strategy to run for 18 hours and sleep for six, Young, used to long hours of toil on his farm, just kept going. Five days, 15 hours, and four minutes later, a nation watched in disbelief as Cliff Young shuffled across the finish line, not just completing the race, but winning it. He had beaten his nearest competitor by nearly 10 hours and set a new course record by nearly two days. Young, who passed away in 2003, is remembered as an Australian icon, embodying the country's spirit of endurance and tenacity. Fans and athletes alike came together to launch a new ultramarathon. The aptly named Cliff Young Australian Six-Day Race was established in his honor. His life is a testament to the fact that it's never too late to lace up your shoes or boots in this case and run towards the impossible. In the annals of Australian sport, there's no story quite like that of Cliff Young. Potato farmer, ultramarathoner, national hero.
Julian Kepke. On the afternoon of December 24, 1971, Lanza Flight 508 was cruising at 21,000 feet when it was hit by a bolt of lightning, causing the plane to break apart mid-air. Among the 92 passengers, there was one sole survivor, 17-year-old Julian Kepke. Julian and her mother were traveling from Lima, Peru to Pucallpa, across a vast stretch of the remote Amazon rainforest. When the plane disintegrated in flight, Julianne, still strapped to her seat, was ejected and began the nearly three-mile free fall to the earth. How did she survive? The exact dynamics aren't known, but it's believed that the seat and section of the plane to which she was strapped slowed her descent slightly. Also, the thick jungle canopy helped cushion her impact. Kepke awoke the next day, still strapped to her seat, with a broken collarbone, a deep gash on her arm, and her right eye swollen shut. For the first day, Julian just wandered around the jungle, surrounded by the twisted wreckage of the plane, dead bodies and the eerie sounds of unseen animals moving in the underbrush. A bag of candy served as her only food. She was wearing just a mini dress and sandals when she was thrown into the rainforest, ill-prepared for survival in the harsh jungle environment. But then, when all seemed hopeless, Julian's survival instincts kicked in. She found a small stream, remembering the instructions of her father, a biologist. Follow the water downstream and you will find people. She knew from her father as well that she was sharing her new jungle home with the likes of dangerous creatures like snakes, crocodiles, and jaguars. By the third day, she came across a larger river. Julianne's physical condition was deteriorating rapidly. Her injuries were infected, and she was forced to begin pulling maggots out of her wound. Hungry, broken, and exhausted, she pushed on. Despite her injuries and the harsh conditions, she was able to travel around six miles per day. Julianne had to swim or wade through multiple streams and tributaries during her journey. At one point, on day six, she nearly stepped on a dangerous crocodile hiding at the river's edge, its eyes gleaming menacingly. Shaking with fear, she retreated slowly and continued her journey downstream. The days and nights became a blur. By the tenth day, Julianne's hope was fading as she drifted in and out of consciousness, with every step sending a surge of pain through her body. It was on the eleventh day, when she felt she could go no further, that she miraculously discovered a canoe and a small hut. Nearing death, she waited for its owners. Finally, lumbermen found her. They dressed her wounds, fed her, and gave her a place to rest. The next day, they took her downstream via a seven-hour canoe ride to a lumber station. From there, a local pilot recognized her and flew her to a hospital in Pucallpa, where she was reunited with her father. Upon recovery, Kepke helped search parties locate the crash site and identify the bodies of the victims including her mother. In the years that followed, she went on to earn a doctorate in biology, inspired by her harrowing time in the rainforest. She even returned to Peru to conduct research, demonstrating an indomitable spirit that had seen her through the darkest days of her life. A teenager who plummeted from the sky and emerged from the Amazon's embrace, Julianne's story is a testament to human resilience and the relentless will to survive. Linsanity. This is a basketball story that transcends the world of sports, a tale of the first American-born Asian to ever play in the NBA. Jeremy Lin's hard work, humility, and high basketball IQ was a source of inspiration and pride for Asian sports fans around the world. But I want to focus on an unforgettable few weeks in 2012 when the phenomenon known as Linsanity erupted, for it was from this time onward that Jeremy began to inspire all of us. 
Jeremy Lin's journey to the NBA was far from typical. Born in Palo Alto, California to Taiwanese immigrants, Lin led his high school to a state championship, but received no scholarship offers from major basketball programs. Undeterred, he attended Harvard University, where he shone on the court, only to go undrafted in 2010. With an economics degree from Harvard, one might think Lin would have hung up his high tops and pursued a different career. But that wasn't Jeremy's way. He tried out in the NBA Summer League and even managed to make his way onto a couple of teams' rosters, but always short stints with limited playing time. He finally found himself sleeping on his brother's couch, barely clinging to a spot with the New York Knicks, a team that itself was struggling. Injuries to key players forced coach Mike D'Antoni's hand one fateful game, and he put Jeremy in against the New Jersey Nets. Stunning everyone in the arena, Lynn came off the bench and dropped 25 points, leading the Knicks to victory. The sports world took note, New York City went crazy, and just like that, Lynn's sanity was born. What followed was an inexplicable torrent of basketball brilliance. Over the next 12 games, Lynn averaged 23 points and 9 assists. He notched a game-winning buzzer-beater against Toronto and 38 points against Kobe Bryant's Lakers. Sports bars overflowed with euphoric fans glued to the TVs. To put his run in perspective, Jeremy scored more points in his first five games as a starter than any other player in the modern era of the NBA. But Lin's sanity was more than a basketball phenomenon. Lin's Taiwanese heritage made him an icon in China, with TV viewership of Knicks games surging by over 500%. His jersey quickly became the NBA's top seller. Even the stock value of the Knicks' parent company swelled by $250 million. Jeremy's infectious energy resonated with those who had been underestimated, inspiring people to dream big. Of course, Lin's sanity eventually cooled as opponents adjusted and injuries took their toll. But Lin's Cinderella run had already left an indelible mark on basketball lore. Jeremy ended up signing a lucrative contract with the Houston Rockets, reportedly worth $25 million over three years. He later played for other NBA teams, including the Los Angeles Lakers, where he won a championship ring. Today, Lin continues to leave his mark both on and off the court. His story is a testament to breaking barriers and defying expectations. As Jeremy himself once said, I've always been a believer that the harder you work, the more luck you will have. His journey serves as a powerful reminder of this truth. John Calmont, have you ever thought about the secret to a long, vibrant life? If you seek inspiration, look no further than Jeanne Calment, known as the woman whose life spanned three centuries. She holds the unchallenged title for the longest confirmed human lifespan, an astounding 122 years, 164 days. Born in Arles, France in 1875, Jeanne Calment's life story reads like a timeline of modern history. She witnessed the construction of the Eiffel Tower, the turn of two centuries, two world wars, and the emergence of telephones, automobiles, airplanes, space exploration, and the digital age. At age 13, she met the famous artist Vincent van Gogh in her father's shop. She remembered him as being dirty, badly dressed, disagreeable, and smelling of paint. Not quite the romanticized image of the misunderstood genius, wouldn't you agree? Perhaps the most humorous anecdote about Calment's longevity involves a property deal gone awry. In 1965, a lawyer named André-François Raffray, then aged 47, agreed to pay Calment, already 90 years old, 
a monthly sum of 2,500 francs until her death, on the agreement that he would inherit her apartment. However, fate had a twist in store. Raffrey not only ended up paying Calmont for 30 years, outliving the total value of the apartment, but also died before her. Jeanne quipped, In life, one sometimes makes bad deals. Was Calmont the poster child for healthy living? Not exactly. Her recipe for longevity included a diet rich in olive oil, eating nearly two pounds of chocolate each week, and a glass of port wine every day. And she smoked cigarettes, a habit she finally gave up at the tender age of 117. She was quite active, however, and rode a bicycle until her hundredth birthday, and took up fencing at 85. She credited her longevity to a relaxed attitude and a life devoid of stress and regret. She would say, Gardez toujours votre sourire. Always keep your smile. That's how I explain my long life. Jeanne's passion for music led to an unforgettable moment in her later life when she released a CD titled Time's Mistress at the age of 121. It featured her reminiscing about her long life, set against a backdrop of rap music and other tunes. For scholars, students and seekers of the secret to a long life, Jean Calment's incredible journey offers a fascinating peek into the marvels of human endurance, but doesn't exactly reveal all the answers. What was her secret? A positive attitude? Really good genes? Who knows? Perhaps it was all that chocolate. Regardless, let's enjoy the wonderful life of Jean Calment and strive to live as vibrantly, if not as long, as this remarkable character. Stephen Wiltshire. Here's a question. What was the colour of the shirt you wore yesterday? Or can you tell me what you had for breakfast this morning? Sometimes it's easy to forget the details, isn't it? Well, that's true for most of us. Now I want you to imagine being able to recall the details of an entire city after seeing it only once. That's the incredible ability of Stephen Wiltshire, an artist many refer to as the human camera. Diagnosed with autism at the age of three, Stephen was non-verbal until the age of five. However, he discovered a profound talent for drawing, which became his primary form of communication. His artistic genius was recognized early on when he began to sketch remarkably detailed and accurate representations of animals and London buses. Wiltshire's photographic memory and artistic talent truly shone when he started drawing buildings and cityscapes. After a brief helicopter ride over cities like New York, Hong Kong and Tokyo, Wiltshire could draw detailed and accurate panoramas of these cities entirely from memory, down to the exact number of windows on skyscrapers. By the time he was eight, Stephen's unique skills caught the attention of the art world, and his work was displayed in exhibitions around the globe. In 2006, he was named a member of the Order of the British Empire for his services to art. Stephen has Savant Syndrome, a rare condition in which a person with mental disabilities, including autism, demonstrates extraordinary abilities or skills. These savant skills can take many forms such as remarkable artistic or musical ability, calendar calculating, mathematical wizardry, or even extraordinary memory feats. Research suggests that savant syndrome occurs in about 10% of people with autism. It is important to note, though, that the syndrome can also manifest after brain injuries or disease in people without developmental disorders, further complicating our understanding of it. In 2006, Stephen opened up his own gallery in London's Royal Opera Arcade. His specialty is large-scale, intricate panoramas of major cities, including Tokyo, Rome, Hong Kong, Frankfurt, Madrid, Dubai and Jerusalem, 
created entirely from memory. The meticulous works often measure over 30 feet in length. Stephen is also a determined advocate for autism, using his story to inspire others and challenge misconceptions about the condition. He beautifully demonstrates how art can be a mode of expression, especially for those with non-traditional ways of interacting with the world. Stephen reminds us that every mind is unique, valuable, and in some cases capable of very extraordinary things. Wilma Rudolph Now I'm sure you've heard stories of incredible people, able to persevere against seemingly insurmountable odds, but the story of Wilma Rudolph truly stands out. Life dealt her a one-two punch early on that would have taken most of us out but not Wilma. Allow me to share the inspiring tale of this amazing woman. Don't worry, it'll be fast. Born on June 23, 1940 in Clarksville, Tennessee, Wilma was the 20th of 22 siblings. She arrived prematurely, weighing just four and a half pounds, and her family was given little hope of her survival. As if this was not challenging enough, at the age of four, Wilma contracted polio. The disease ravaged her young body, leaving her left leg and foot weak and deformed. Doctors grimly informed her family that Wilma would never walk again. Despite having limited resources, Wilma and her family refused to give in. She was fitted with leg braces and embarked on a grueling journey of physical therapy, involving weekly bus trips to a segregated hospital in Nashville, 100 miles away. The commitment to her recovery was a family affair. Each of her siblings took turns massaging her crippled leg four times a day. Through years of these grueling exercises, Rudolph slowly started to regain strength in her leg. Against every prognosis, at the age of 12, she achieved what was deemed impossible. She walked without her braces for the first time. It wasn't enough for Wilma to just walk. She wanted to run. By high school, Wilma was one of the top basketball players in her state and was spotted by a coach from Tennessee State who invited her to his summer track camp. It was there that her running career took off. By 16, Rudolph earned a place on the U.S. Olympic track and field team and came home from the 1956 Melbourne Games with a bronze medal. Her true moment of glory came in the 1960 Rome Olympics, where she became the first American woman to win three gold medals in a single Olympic Games. She set world records in the 100 meters, 200 meters, and 4 by 100 meter relay. Her performance, her grace, and her indomitable spirit earned her the nickname, the Tornado of Tennessee. Upon her triumphant return to Clarksville, Wilma insisted that her homecoming parade and banquet be integrated, making them the first racially integrated events in her hometown. After her running career, Wilma worked as a teacher, coach, and mentor, and established the Wilma Rudolph Foundation, which aimed to promote education and sports for children. From immobility to Olympic champion, Rudolph's legacy continues to inspire and encourage individuals to break through barriers, determine their own destinies, and run towards their dreams no matter what. The Gimli Glider On July 23, 1983, Air Canada 143 was mid-flight on a route from Montreal to Edmonton with 69 souls on board. Suddenly, while cruising at 36,000 feet, the aircraft ran out of fuel. Yes, that's correct. The tanks were completely empty. Was there a fuel leak? 
not exactly. You see, due to a recent switch from Imperial to metric units, a human miscalculation led to the aircraft being loaded with only half the necessary fuel. Wow. Because of a malfunctioning fuel gauge, the pilots had no warning. It was at this point in the flight that the Boeing 767 became what would be known as the Gimli Glider. Now, imagine being a passenger on that flight. The usual drone of the engines reduced to an eerie silence, the altitude dropping by the minute. The pilot, Captain Robert Pearson, happened to be an experienced glider pilot. His co-pilot, First Officer Maurice Quintal, had an intimate familiarity with the topography and airfields of the area. Together, they concocted a daring plan. They put the plane into a glide and headed for an airfield at Gimli, Manitoba. But there was a significant hitch. The airfield had been converted into a motor car racing track. And there was a race in progress. Pearson and Quintal had to land a passenger jet on an occupied drag strip with no engine power. Pearson executed a forward slip, a complex maneuver even in a small aircraft, to increase their rate of descent and slow the plane. As they descended, the rear landing gear locked in place, but the nose wheel did not. In a testament to their skills, the duo executed a flawless dead stick landing. Upon touchdown, the unlocked nose gear collapsed, and the plane's front end struck the asphalt, sending sparks flying. The aircraft skidded along the racetrack, miraculously avoiding all bystanders and vehicles, before finally grinding to a halt. It was a landing that defied all odds. Not a single person on board or on the ground was significantly injured. The swift actions and impressive piloting skills of Pearson and Quintal saved the day, turning what could have been a devastating catastrophe into a story of survival and skill. So, next time you step onto a plane, spare a thought for the Gimli Glider, the plane that flew without fuel, and the crew that guided her to safety. Credits. The stories, content, and narration in this podcast were created with the assistance of large language models like Bard from Google AI, Anthropic's Claude AI Assistant, and GPT 3.5 and GPT 4 by OpenAI. The background music was Inspirational Cinematic Trailer by Tailkeeper Music and Motivational Guitars by Clementi Skripnikov, both from Pond5 Productions found at www.pond5.com. The narrator voices were produced in conjunction with Eleven Lab Studios at www.elevenlabs.io. Special thanks goes to my wife, kids and friends who provided suggestions and input throughout the project and put up with my incessant story writing over the course of 2023. Thanks guys! The end.